everybody, welcome to Emmaus Way. I'm Tim. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Um, I'm going to read our call to gather, and then I'm going to turn it over to my buddies on the rug over here who are going to lead us as they typically do to start, uh, uh, lead us with great enthusiasm tonight. I'm pretty impressed by that, John. So, uh, our call to gather tonight. Um, God of the covenant, in the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. In this time of repentance... Draw all people to yourself, that we who confess Jesus as Lord may put aside the deeds of death and accept the life of your kingdom. God of wilderness and water, your son was baptized and tempted as we are. Guide us through this season that we may not avoid struggle, but open ourselves to blessing. Through the cleansing depth of repentance and the heaven-rending words of the Spirit. Amen. And as you probably have uh, determined, this is the first Sunday of Lent. And Emmaus Way, as a community, uh, does our best to live into the church calendar. It reminds us that we live in an alternative perspective, a perspective that is not always in sync with uh, the market or um, the rhythms or the holidays or the seasons that tend to drive our society. And we live as a community with an expectation that God is doing something merciful and redemptive and wonderful and beautiful in this place and around us. And we work hard to participate in that and to find it and to see it and to hear it in each other's voices. And so welcome to the first Sunday of Lent. Josh is going to kind of lead us through parts of this uh, later this evening. But I want to turn this over to my my buddies back here who are leading us. I think we have a new, uh, is it a new call and response this week since we are in the season of Lent? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. There'll be a different person reading the leader one part each week. We're hoping to get some of the kids um, to do that. But I just, so you see there's a single voice, the children leader part, and then you're the adults. And then at the end. Most of the time. (laughs) But I'm not entirely sure. So each season this community element changes. So we're doing this one for the first time this year. And so try to hang in there. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Lord, have mercy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, Savior, servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Lord, have mercy. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Lord, have mercy. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Lord, have mercy. Thanks, guys. That was fantastic. Elizabeth, thank you for your work to craft a new uh, kind of liturgy for us for this season. And again, uh, Lent and Advent and many of these seasons are times of, of preparation and celebration as well for Emmaus Way. So tonight we're, um, we've been in this series on the lectionary and um, for the, this week, we, and often we've been reading the text interpretively, but tonight we're going to read them contemplatively in a, a variety of things. But let me uh, pause uh, and just offer a few quick announcements I'm looking at Emily because we have an Ecclesia meeting coming up. 
week. Next week, right. So next week, uh, you guys know that if you've been around for a while, you know the rhythm. About once every quarter, we gather as a community right after our worship gathering for about a, an hour of conversation about our life together. It's where we get a chance to talk about future plans, finances, the whole kind of make the community happen type of conversation. The way we do that, if you haven't, haven't done this before, is um, we will uh, shorten the gathering from, uh, it'll be from five uh, to six-ish, and we'll order pizza. If for some reason you can't stay around, we would love for you to stay and eat some pizza with us. We'll kind of do that for about 10, 15 minutes, and then around 6.15, Emily uh, and SK, who are our lay leaders, will lead us in that gathering. We're, we're very... Um, focused on getting it done in an hour. So in some ways, if you hang around, you'll probably be home and fed about the same time you normally would on a Emmaus Way night. But uh, anything else, Emily, about uh, Ecclesia? Okay. Well, thank you guys for doing that. And one of the other things that you'll be hearing from us uh, fairly soon as well is Emmaus Way, one of our partnerships is Durham Can. And Durham Can is a grassroots, nonpartisan political organizing committee uh, as a part of Durham's life. And we've done tons of stuff this year with them. It's been probably one of the most significant years in the life of Durham Can in terms of working on uh, policing in Durham, uh, uh, various educational initiatives, particularly hiring interpreters in schools that that, uh, have more than 50% Spanish-speaking students and a whole range of things that we've been able to do as part of a broader coalition uh, around the city. But the rhythm for Durham Can is that about every two years, uh, we pause uh, from kind of direct action for about four or five months, and we spend time listening to, to Durham and the community and, and hearing kind of what are the specific needs that as a community we need to organize around. And so so a lot of the things that have been done in the last 10 years, like living wages for the city of Durham or Duke University or things like that, were part of uh, the community saying something needs to be done. Uh, in the past year, um, uh, education was a major focus. Uh, another major focus has been working and providing healthier food in parts of our city that, that don't have access to, to good and, and, uh, and healthy food. Uh, so these are things that kind of come out of listening meetings. One of the things that we're going to be doing, which I think will be interesting, is in a Sunday in two, three, four weeks, we're going to do a listening session in our congregational gathering. So that listening time will replace the normal dialogue that we do on Sunday evenings. So look for me. I'll email some questions out to you of things to be thinking about. That would be a Sunday that it would be highly appropriate to bring people around, along a neighbor or a friend or somebody who would like to speak into the local political process at Durham um, and speak into this kind of broad faith-based uh, coalition of people that are a part of that. So anyway, that, that would be great. And apologies, I want to throw out real quickly. It was such a bummer for me um, on Wednesday that Ash Wednesday canceled at Monument of Faith. I don't know how many of you guys were planning to come out, but I, I didn't hear until later that afternoon. Uh, their congregation is uh, a, a little bit older than ours, so they were very concerned about ice around the building and all of those things. I was a little sad to have written a sermon and didn't get to, to do it, but that's a whole other story. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, we'll, so in some ways, Lent is starting tonight. I think this is the first time that we've not had an Ash Wednesday gathering, uh, but uh, we'll try to 
to catch up with that. But anyway, this is usually the time in our worship gathering where we give you an opportunity to stand up, greet people that are around you. If you'd like, offer them the peace of Christ. It's also a great time to grab coffee or some snacks in the back and, uh, and certainly kind of to... Typically for us, it's an opportunity for us to speak to each other before we speak an intentional conversation with each other. So please stand up and greet each other. I feel like I'm always nervous calling people back from passing the piece that I'm just going to end up trying to imitate Tim's. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) So I'm I'm always trying to say it slightly differently. So I don't. Maybe I will just do a Tim impression from now on. So as Tim was saying, um, this is the first night of Lent, um, and uh, for those of you who have been with us, uh, you know that over the last, I guess about a year and a half, almost two years now, um, at least once a month, we try to organize our uh, service in such a way that we're um, engaging with an art other than music. Um, we typically hire musicians from the community, um, and they are typically here in the center, but at least once a month, we like to push ourselves out of that and engage with some other forms of art. And uh, it seemed like uh, we also have had some energy in the community around a contemplative prayer group that's been going for um, a little over a year. And so we thought that the first Sunday of Lent would be a good time to, to really um, sort of feature contemplation as a, a mode of spiritual engagement and really give you some time to explore some different ways of doing that. So um, there are five different Stations set up around the room, um, and the starting right here with the green tablecloth. So this is a station where we have watercolors, um, and it's a practice that's called praying in color. Um, there's a book, and I'm sure Katrina would be happy to tell you more about it. But um, so there's there's art supplies there for that. Behind the doors, sort of in that back corner, is just this place to go and be quiet and uh, to pray to meditate. Um, I encourage you at some point while we're while we have this sort of time to read the four lectionary texts, as you know that we've been tracking through the lectionary this year, and so all four of them are printed there on the back of your sheet. Uh, here in the middle, uh, we have a station to make blackout poetry. Um, so we have a variety of texts taken from uh, interviews, newspapers, books, other things. Um, and with this station, the Blackout Poetry Station, and in the corner, um, a practice called Determinement that has become really important to us as a community. The idea is essentially to take something that has a potentially uh, hurtful or, uh, I guess the best way to say it would be like complicated <laughs> legacy uh, within the church, and to try and reimagine it and to transform it into something that gives hope. Um, this was inspired, we, we first did this, I think, Lent last year, maybe, maybe two years ago, um, inspired by Rachel Held Evans, who some of you may know, who had a Lenten practice where she was taking all the hate mail that she would receive at her email address, and she was printing it out and then making it into origami, which I thought was such a sort of neat practice. And so um, we've had a variety of different ways that we've done to turn them on, but uh, tonight we have the table in the corner here is filled with images. Um, that we'd ask you to turn just by drawing on them, by sort of cutting or tearing out part of it, um, by writing new text, something like that. Um, And then we also have blackout poetry, which you can uh, sort of create a new text by blacking out certain words um, and hopefully change the meanings of some of the text. Um, And then over here in this corner, we have 
what is uh, a really neat Lenten practice that I just discovered uh, a little over a week ago. Um, and so it's a, it's a Lenten sort of prayer journal that's organized around poetry. And so the idea is that for each day of Lent, there's a poem and there's sometimes a piece of visual art. And then there's space with lines around it for you to sort of journal a response. Um, and there's instructions on the table about a couple of different ways that you can interact with that. But that PDF of the whole Lent with all of the prayers, I have that. And if that is something you're interested in, I'm happy to post that to our website. Um, and of course, I would be happy to email it to you as well. So if you just email me at artsinemmausway.net, I'd be happy to give that to you. Um, so I encourage you, as I said, please spend some time reading the four lectionary texts. Um, and maybe reading back over the call to gather text. Those are text, the two call to gather prayers. Um, both came off of the Vanderbilt lectionary site as the prayers for, for today. Um, and uh, spend some time in contemplation and thinking about as we begin this season of Lent, that we have uh, a sort of a long season of darkness ahead of us that culminates in this uh, sort of amazing and transformative point of light. Um, so please spend some time uh, exploring the different stations, and then I'll call us back, and we'll have a, a sort of guided uh, contemplative exercise for confession and absolution. All right, if you want to, you guys want to go ahead and start sort of finishing up where you are. We want to call everyone back for a, a sort of guided activity um, of confession and absolution, and this is something that uh, I'm going to sort of turn it over to SK to lead. Um, SK has been really instrumental in our contemplative prayer group that I mentioned before. Um, do you want to just mention maybe briefly, like what the contemplative prayer group is, like what you guys do, and um, maybe like if someone wanted to be a part of it, what they could expect. So we're just a group of people that enjoy contemplative practice or have any interest in it. Um, in the past, we have done, you guys have, might have to help me remember, we've done Taizé. Um, what was that? The Labyrinth, The Walking of the Labyrinth. Praying with Poetry, The Enneagram. Um, so it's really just based on what people are interested in, anything. And anybody could really call a meeting or lead a meeting. Um, we want to just be learning together journeying together and using each other as our community that we get to practice with. Awesome. So this uh, sort of activity, this confession and absolution activity is rooted in a practice called Meta. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? Meta. Meta. Yeah. So for those of you who, uh, who know the basketball player formerly known as Ron Artest, right? He changed his name to Meta World Peace. It's the same word. Meta with two T's. Um, and this is a concept from Buddhism that's about sort of loving kindness, about the idea of kindness in the world. Um, I believe Ron Artest actually now is called a panda's friend because he's playing in a Chinese basketball league. That's neither here nor there. Um, but just if you hear yeah, that, your Ron Artest update for the evening. <laughs> but anyway, this practice of, of, uh, of metta or metta is, is something that's crucial to Buddhism. Um, so do you want to talk just a little bit about sort of what the shape of the activity will be yeah. um, so people will know? Okay, and I'll say a little bit. It's also known as loving-kindness meditation. You might know it as that. Um, and it's really about this sort of 
place of unconditional love and inclusive love that includes wisdom. And um, it is the shape of it, just to sort of answer that, and I'll maybe go back to a little bit more detail about it, um, is we want to cultivate a feeling of love within ourselves because if we can't love ourselves, then it's hard to extend love to other people. So we ground ourselves in, in that love and wish for kindness and happiness for ourselves. And then we move out toward the people that we love unconditionally and our dear friends and some neutral people in our lives and then the difficult people in our lives and then to all beings. Um, so that's the shape. We have to start here and move out to the harder rung, rungs of, of our world. Yeah, is there anything else in terms of like the background about sort of meta or this type of meditation would be useful to know? Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, so it's a, it, the practice itself is about softening ourselves and breaking down the bar- barriers in, that we feel inwardly. Um, and I actually don't know a ton about kind of its origin, but um, yeah, I'll. I'll uh, I'll get more into the, the details in a minute. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and one of the things that I thought was so interesting about this sort of style of meditation is that actually um, you see this sort of style used rhetorically in the Old Testament, but you almost see it used in the opposite direction. So in this, this is about a sort of, uh, uh, as, as Kay was saying, a sort of softening and the idea of extending love and grace outward from yourself. Um, but if you look at a book, say like the book of Amos, the way that Amos is structured is it starts with a whole bunch of woe is me's and sort of condemnations. <clears throat> and it starts with Israel's enemies and then moves ever closer until eventually you're seeing like, oh yeah, all the things we were criticizing them for are the things that we ourselves are doing. Um, so this idea of, of using uh, the sort of the enemy, the stranger, the widow, the orphan, I think is a very biblical idea in terms of framing our, our kindness uh, in, in terms of the most vulnerable or the most, uh, those that for whom it is most difficult for us to extend that. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's really great. Cool. So I, I will go ahead and turn it over to you. And, uh, um, and then after this, uh, Tim is going to come and invite us to the table. So. And I will say when I first tried this practice, I just thought immediately of, of Jesus saying to love your enemies and I thought, oh, this is a practice that will help me do that. Like, geez, I could picture Jesus doing this practice. Um, so it's pretty powerful. Um, so to start, um, if you could just sort of find yourself in a comfortable posture. And um, become aware of your sort of solar plexus area and your, your heart center. And begin to breathe in and out from there. And keep your awareness in your heart center in that place. So we're going to begin by generating a feeling of of love and kindness um, toward ourselves. And as you do that, notice any areas of mental blockage. And drop beneath that to to that place where we care for ourselves where we want strength and health and safety for ourselves. If you want to, you can repeat a phrase. Um, You could repeat, may I be able to live in this world happily, peacefully, joyfully, and with ease. You could also choose a different one. May I be happy, 
May I be safe. As you wish these things to yourself, be aware of your body and your mind and your heart. So hopefully now you are beginning to feel that, that sense of love, unconditional love for yourself, and you're grounded in that. In the next step of this meditation, we're going to move our attention to the person who most invites a feeling of unconditional love in our lives. It takes absolutely no effort to love this person, and we don't expect anything in return for them. We just love them completely. And if you want to, you can repeat the phrase, may he or she be able to live in this world happily, peacefully, joyfully, with ease. And now begin to shift your awareness to a dear friend, someone who it's still easy to love, um, but it might take some effort. And you might include the phrases that um, I've repeated about living peacefully and happily and joyfully and with ease. If that helps you, or just focus on the feeling of love in your heart center. And as you stay grounded in that place of love, move out one more ring 
to somebody who's neutral in your life, someone who you feel neither, you know, great love for or ill will, um, might be the person who delivers your mail or someone you see on a regular basis, but you don't know anything about them. You can use those phrases or just stay with the feeling. And staying grounded in that place, now move to someone you have difficulty loving. Could be a person. Could be, I don't know, a group or a situation, something. Um, just some place where you would ordinarily feel blocked in loving. And you might say, May they be able to live in this world happily, peacefully, joyfully, and with ease. And finally, extend your awareness to all living beings, wishing that they may live happily, peacefully, joyfully, and with ease. And gently bring your awareness back to the room, to this space. Try not to abruptly just come right back to um, 
thinking mind, but just ease back here. And um, we'll end this time with amen. USK. I'm just curious. Um, I grew up in a tradition uh, where we had, um, you know, altar calls at the end of church every week. And uh, how, how many of you kind of grew kind of in an altar callish kind of tradition? And um, some of you guys who know me well know that I'm always sometimes my eye is drawn to the oil, the 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 fly in the ointment. And I remember that as a young kid, 10, 11 years old, and I had responded to many altar calls in my life by that point. But, um, but I remember thinking, it is so easy to say that you're for something. It's so easy to kind of go forward and say that I'm, I'm, I'm for Jesus. I'm for the way of Jesus. I'm, I'm for it. But I, 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 I remember critiquing it and thinking, what, what backs that up? other than the fact that you might have been willing to suffer some embarrassment or, or you know, whatever. And, um, and as SK was doing this tonight, I was thinking, God, this is one of the most, uh, actually a beautiful way of doing an altered call in the context of God's love. And the fact that as, as I read the New Testament, uh, it's interesting that one of the things that, that keeps coming up is how do you participate in the kingdom of heaven? How do you participate in the kingdom of God? But one of the one of the texts, if you'll look right here on um, on the handout on the flip side, um, Mark one nine through fifteen, uh, the way Mark writes this, it's really interesting that Jesus confronts uh, the tempter in the wilderness. And I, I want to recommend a book on this, by the way. Have any of you guys read Henry Nowen's In the Name of Jesus? It's absolutely amazing little 60-page, 70-page book on the temptation of Christ. And one of the things that he points out in that temptation is uh, that much of those temptations were very directed around things that were personal, uh, self-importance, uh, person. And he tells the story of being asked to speak in the cathedral in D.C. and, to, and maybe the, the prayer breakfast and that sort of thing. And he, he had already shifted his career at that point from Harvard Divinity School to working in one of the large communities with, um, with a whole community of people that suffered from all kinds of cognitive uh, disimpairments, that, that type of thing. And he kept having this person in the community who said, we're in community. It was a person who, who was um, obviously had all kinds of cognitive disabilities, but kept saying, I should go with you because how can you talk about um, our love <laughs> and, and what happens in our community unless I go with you? And, and he caught himself and realized that he was in that same kind of wilderness moment. He's like, this is important. I need to go down and be the Henry Nowen in front of these people. I can't take you with me. And, and it drew him into this realization that he was acting out the, the wilderness temptation thing uh, again and again uh, where the tempter comes to Jesus and says, it's about you, Jesus. Uh, let's do things that make you look more significant. And, um, and of course, he caught that and he took his friend uh, uh, to D.C. And apparently at, this friend spoke for about six minutes and it was one of the most 
most dramatic moments because it was an embodiment of how much he loved this man that stood beside him and the people that were in front of him. And it was, it was a, and, and in some ways, it reveals to us how difficult it is for us to love as that circle gets wider and wider and wider, right? And, and as we look at this, Jesus begins speaking uh, after the wilderness. He comes out and he says, I understand the kingdom of God is now, it's here, participate in it. And the question always is, what does that participation look like? And to me, the most dramatic way of it is more than just saying, I'm for God, I'm for Jesus, I'm for this, I believe in this, is this very difficult, very powerful, very dramatic act of loving, loving enemies. Uh, Jesus gave a great exposition of this in the Gospels, but as you read the rest of the epistles, so often the answer is, how do you join up? You join up by loving across boundaries. In the New Testament, those were meal boundaries. They were racial boundaries like the ones that we face now. But, of course, there are many, many more boundaries that are are part of our kind of modern world that we live in. And so what SK did tonight was an altar call. You asked us to do the very thing that part of having received love from God, we offer it to others, not only because we're giving something, but because we're deeply transformed by that love. Um, Tonight, as we prepare to take the Eucharist, we're reminded again that this is a practice for us that asks us to not just be for the kingdom of God, uh, not for Jesus, not open-minded, but actually participate in the very deep values of that kingdom. And we participate communally. We participate in a way of saying that there's no person in this room, uh, regardless of what their heritage or background or worldview is, that's not welcome at the table. There's no voice in the room that's not welcome to speak. Uh, Every night when we gather and do a dialogue, every voice is invited in this. We're also reminded that we are not gods in and of ourselves. We are not self-sufficient. We can't cannot live alone in this world. We cannot provide alone for ourselves. We need each other. So tonight, literally, as we are going to the table and we're breaking the bread, we're pouring the wine or juice for each other, we're saying those things. We're saying that this is a community of people who strive to love each other. Despite whatever difference or struggle or pain that we've brought in this room, we are desperate to love each other. We're also saying that Living in love is a reminder that we need each other, that none of us in this room could operate alone. We need each other, and we need many around us in this world. And we also say as worshipers that we are not creating a world for God to inhabit, but God has created a space for us to inhabit. And for us, it's not only the imagination of the kingdom of God, but it's actually its presence in our world today. Look at this uh, text from, uh, this is just the last part of that Mark text. Um, This is after John was arrested, which for Jesus meant the new era has begun. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God will happen in several thousand years. Actually, the kingdom of God has come near. It's now. It's blooming, it's blossoming in the present world that we live in. And so we have this amazing gift and this amazing privilege is to embody that kingdom in our lives. And you do so. You embody it in your work. 
You embody it in the way that you love your friends, uh, the person that you're married to, or a, a significant relationship that you have, the way that you love people who are extremely difficult. How many people were able to supply, by the way, an extremely difficult? Pretty, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, usually that's not hard to do, but in many ways, that is the call of the kingdom. That is the transformative power of the kingdom, is to do that and to do that in relationship and to do that in more than just intent but actually the way we accept and receive each other. So tonight at the table, we'll do exactly that. We'll not only anticipate the coming of Christ and the fruition of all of God's work, but its presence in our lives today. So I invite you now to the table to break bread. Uh, When you break the bread with the people around you, just say the body of Christ. And when you pour wine or juice, say the blood of Christ. And and again, remember that we are uh, worshiping in that practice and we are looking for the presence of God in this community and in the world that we live in. And May our conversion story, our altar call, uh, the way that we join into the work of Christ be exactly what SK has asked us to do tonight is by not only loving those that are dear to us, but literally, creatively, imaginatively loving the world around us. And I thank you for the, the intentionality tonight. I was at the tournament table, and I think for me, the tournament table is one of the greatest challenges because you see things there that are not statements of love. And my reaction often is to recoil at those things rather than engage them and find some way to create a loving script. So thank you, Josh, and the aesthetics team and the people who kind of pull this together. And next week, uh, just as a quick reminder, we'll be back in the lectionary. We'll be obviously dialoguing again. I'll, I'll send the text out, but I'll look forward to our conversation. And Mark, who's doing, uh, or Josh, who's doing music next week? Um, I believe it's Tim. Tim Carlos. Great. All right. Well, please join me at the table.